This is the Land and Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome back to another Land of Legacy podcast. It's your host, Matt Dye. And um, guys, we're going we're gonna to jump into, um, I'm not going to say it's a reoccurring topic, but it's a reoccurring thought and a mindset change that I think every good land manager has to go through, um, has to go through this process of what you look, being able to look at things visually and say good versus bad and almost training your eye to identify um, you know, quality habitat and, and a change in structure and a change in plant communities. Um, and so we're going to have an interview um, with Sean Ferendorf, uh, Whitetail Properties. And uh, Sean does a lot of the land beat content. And so he has a very unique perspective, spends quite a bit of time with Adam and myself, but also folks like uh, Dr. Craig Harper, Marcus Lashley, um, Kip Adams, and has been doing this for several years and has a great story of, of his own, let's say, transformation of kind of what he thought may have been quality, but, but learning through the, the lens of a camera, but um, putting these videos together and traveling and seeing so much of the country with, um, with these guys. And, and I think it's, a, it's just going to be a very um, good conversation for everyone to listen to because those who do listen, everyone's a different you know, aspects of this transformation. And sometimes it's just good to hear it from someone else besides Adam and myself. Um, so there's going to be some good perspective. But before we jump into that, um, just want to make sure... Uh, everyone is ready for hunting season, and um, they're doing all that they can to learn a property, um, whether it's a new property, a new lease, um, or you're, you are going out to hunt public ground. Guys, make sure you have um, the elite membership with OnX, and if you don't already have it, if you're living under that rock and not utilizing it, um, use the code LEGACY20. Um, when you get that elite membership for your Onyx subscription. Um, so without further ado, let's jump into the podcast. All right, Sean, welcome to the Land of Legacy podcast. Is What's this up? the first podcast you've been on with us? First one, yeah, Okay, with you guys. Gotcha. And you're, um, just so everyone is aware, you're coming off of um, basically not having a voice on Sunday. So you're gracious enough to try and get through some time on this podcast so um if you have to cough cough drink whatever yeah we'll forgive you yeah up until today i don't know that i would have been able to talk for more than a couple of minutes at a time <laughs> it was it was in and out and yeah. sometimes just non-existent so now it's um it's back for the most part so i think we'll be able to have a good conversation here and uh sweet yeah well i appreciate your time and we just got done shooting uh a handful of uh, land beat videos, some some fresh new content coming to the Whitetail Properties channel um, on YouTube and on social. Um, some of them are some projects right here on Elam Ridge that we've got going on, some hunting season prep. Um, so kind of a, a lot of timely things, I think, uh, for the land beat content. And then from here, 
you're going to be going and then meeting Adam in Oklahoma, kind of doing a, a property um, review of some projects going on out there, um, get some more content. So a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to get out there, uh, meet up with Adam. I think this is his third trip out there. It's um, yep. one of the partners of Whitetail Properties has a ranch out there. Um, Adam and Matt have been doing some work with them. Um, and they've got a lot of stuff done in the last year, so yes. it'll be it'll be really cool. I haven't been to the property in a year and a half, um, and they've been working on it for about a year, yeah, so yeah. seeing the transformation will be really cool. That'll be cool. Um, yeah, because it'll look – I've gotten the pictures and updates and, and everything from those return visits, and it sounds pretty dang awesome of what yeah. they've been able to accomplish and taking some big swings on stuff too. No and doubt. I always love um, – Always love those those follow up visits. And I actually got back from Virginia just a couple days ago and um, visited a property, three hundred something acres. Um, they had gotten done with a timber harvest and a pretty aggressive timber harvest out there. They have pulpwood um, mills and they can chip and saw some stuff. So basically, a lot smaller diameter trees. Um, areas like out here in the Midwest, we don't have those markets. And so anyhow, they, they had cut pretty much clear cut 60 to 80 acres and different, you know, 15 here, 30 there, 20 there. Um, essentially they're just old pasture fields that had grown up in junk. Um, and then done some select harvesting of uh, better timbered areas. So that was about a year's worth of regeneration. Um, and, and, and I just, I had to have the conversation with the landowner of, man, I, I just, I'm proud of you for taking the recommendations because what was 300 acres of, of timber is now, you know, 220. And um, it, basically, they're, I love working with and um, following through projects when landowners take those big swings and see giant changes and aren't afraid to make those and just kind of be like, well, that's the best thing to do. Let's do it and full bore because there's a, there's a lot of benefit that's occurring on that site right now. Um, and even last year, like right after some of those areas have been cut, you know, first little bit of pokeweed and all that stuff was coming back in those areas. And they're like, the turkeys and the number of deer are silly we thought we would have been you know two to three years of poor hunting and this and that and last year was their best year it's like it doesn't always relate you know like you can have a disturbance and stuff comes back pretty quickly um but every year from here on out it's like dude you're primed so good to have some sweet seasons and that's probably something that you guys run into a bunch with landowners is getting them to take that initial step whether it is that big step um, getting them through mm -hmm. that, that uncomfortable phase of, of doing the thing to the property and having that, the, what the transition that they're not used to, but then yeah. ultimately when they get the results, they're like, wow, you know, this is yeah. awesome. Ab absolutely. And, and if there wasn't some sort of like apprehension up front, if you just said, I'll do, I'll do whatever, like I, don't follow necessarily blindly. I'm glad that you take the the advice, but what I want you to question it along the process, because that means you're trying to understand it all. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, a, there's value in doing it, but there's, there's even more value in doing it and understanding why you're doing it. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, yep. that that's, that's 
I guess, my takeaway for all those clients out there who are listening and haven't taken some of those big steps and swings, like do it, but do it with the understanding of, of why. And sometimes it takes a little bit to, to truly grasp it. Or sometimes it takes like, um, maybe a test area or something like that to, to like dip your toe in. Um, but at the same time that then delays you from all the benefit that I know will happen, but again, you got to feel good about it. And and that's one thing that we have um, been trying to focus on a little bit with some of our content with the Lambeat mm-hmm. series is going back to properties, revisiting properties with you guys that the landowners have implemented what you guys have recommended on and showing the results because seeing it visually um, in the initial phases is a lot different than, than seeing it a year later, two years mm-hmm. later, three years later, and then seeing the benefits, um, seeing the response, depending on, you know, whatever it, it was done on the property. You guys were in Nebraska on that Oak Savannah, and that was yeah. absolutely beautiful. Right. And talking about the different components and how deer are going to use the shit, you know, use the property essentially all year round because you put it back into yeah. a savanna. Um, and the landowner in that case took a huge step and huge removed tons of trees yeah. Um, yeah. and dramatically changed that place. And, and what was that, a year or two uh, follow-up? That was – Year two. Year two. Yep. Basically, first first half of the growing season, year two. Yep. After that. And his, like, well, there's another prime example. Like, he cut the stuff. And even before he's really experienced some, like, really good regeneration, just having structure on the ground and going into a hunting season, like, they've had some fantastic hunting seasons, both deer and turkey on the site. I'm like, Gosh, we're 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 just scratching the surface here, guys, of of the response and regeneration that's going to come back here. Um, so for them to be tickled with the results so far, it's like just hold on, like hold on, we're gonna get better, and you're headed in a fantastic direction. Right, and and we've tried to highlight some of those things on your farm here, on you know mm-hmm. a, a smaller piece of yep. property with 35, 40 acres, thirty five yep. acres, and um last year i think was the first year you had started to do some things in the yep. timber and so you know today for example we were back into uh or we were back in a uh, tsi area that you had had done and it had essentially had one growing season you did it last december yep. and just highlighting the results that you can have and even with just some some minimal things doing some minimal yeah. things in the timber if you don't if it's just yourself in a chainsaw you don't have buddies or whatever to come and help you you can get in the woods and you can make a big difference absolutely and, and um yeah, as we saw, and as hopefully you guys will go and check out those videos, is white-tailed deer are absolutely responding. Like the amount of browse, um, just random scat you're, you're going to find throughout that. Uh, it's it's not like deer just like confined to trails. They're just moving through like one area. You, you, you walk around, there's not that like many trails, but there's literally browse everywhere. Like you could see, okay, they were here, they were there, they were here. They were. So like the usability, it's not like things are just confined to this really good trail. It's no, right now during the growing season where food is everywhere, they are everywhere. Yeah. Um, and then just the frequency in which I'm seeing turkeys on the place too um, is it's pretty awesome. So I'm jacked up. I'm excited um, just in the little bit of time frame that I've had on this place and um, being able to do some TSI, some old field management, a little bit of edge feathering, um, adding some food plots. Like going into this year, 
I'm pretty jazzed up about the let's say the number of deer last summer to this summer, but also the amount of food now that I've got going into this fall versus last. I finally feel like, and, and the fact that there's now some like, it's a, it's a full growing season or growing season and a half of regeneration in the two, two and a half acre bedding cut that, okay, I've got food kind of tricked out, covers way better than it had been. Um, I finally feel like I'm going to get a little bit of the taste of, all right, what a, a fall a hunting season is going to look like from kind of here on out. There's still things I want to do. I want to burn all, you know, yep. get all that just really rocking, more TSI. But I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm really kind of getting there. So once that alfalfa comes in, boy. The alfalfa looks good. Dude, it's, the alfalfa's there. No, uh, it's there. It's, it's, it's there. gonna be uh it's gonna be awesome. So I I, I think that's gonna pull a lot because I know there's not a food resource like that around. Um so I don't know if we've even shared that on the podcast yet, but basically um, put in about two acres of alfalfa here um, on Elam Ridge, the the house location, and it's rocking and rolling. Um, so I'm, I'm thrilled about that. But um, that kind of honestly ties us into really what we want to talk about today with you because you have such a unique perspective on this with – with your job, uh, the ability to travel, the ability to uh, essentially you're, you're studying, if you will, under basically the, the top habitat minds. And I'm, I'm excluding us from that. I'm not saying that's what I'm saying is like, you're working with, uh, Craig Harper in the field. You're working with Marcus Lashley. You're working, um, with Kip Adams, like some, some really big names on their place, um, and then you dabble time with us, um, as, as well. And so you, you've been, I'll say, when did you start hunting? It really wasn't that long ago. It wasn't. And yeah, and I was going to give a little bit of a background or yeah. perspective. So I didn't get into hunting until, um, freshman year of college, you know, yep. busy with sports and everything like that. Didn't really have time. Um, got into hunting, um, was very, very green, uh, and then happened to find a, uh, internship at Midwest Whitetail and then a yep. job with Whitetail Properties. Yep. And, um, so I was very, very green just five or six years ago. Yeah. And, and I came into it working with, like you said, some of the best in the business. So my perspective changed very quickly on what is good habitat, um, for wildlife and that's spending time around you guys, Craig, Kip, Marcus, yeah. guys like that. Um, but it and, is, and I should say some, some of the white sale properties agents yeah. too, like there's there, you know, there's a lot of those guys who, who get in, they spend a lot of time in the field too. So yeah, we've got um, consulting foresters and wildlife biologists that are also agents for us. Um, and those guys are great, but, um, yeah. just traveling around the country, seeing different properties, seeing different management practices, and then, seeing the results from them too, especially from a hunting standpoint, obviously we do a, we do a, a television show. So we travel around and we film hunts and, um, seeing the way that these guys that manage their properties, how it increases the success, the huntability, all of those things, the, the, uh, carrying capacity for deer, mm-hmm. um, just improved across the board. So yeah. I, I think let's say from your, your experiences of, okay, I'm not going to say you're, you're not in any shape, form a, a new hunter, but when you kind of started, you like when you got into this game, you were pretty 
new to things, but but your ability to learn from the exposures of, of work that you've had with Midwest Whitetail and then on to Whitetail Properties um, and then just the amount of travel and exposure through these other people that you've had, like your your rate of knowledge and growth was on a, a super high trajectory. So that what's important, I think, is to talk about that trajectory of, okay, I'm a sponge. I, I have all these um, exposure learning opportunities. Kind of walk, walk me through and the listener through um, – do did you do you feel do you recall like let's say that mindset change or that like ability to look at things differently um and it really just like light bulb moment do you rem- was there a light bulb moment for you or did it take place kind of over time now you're like okay i really i i really grasp it like you're as we're walking through and doing tsi stuff you know like we talked about you're 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 calling out species you're talking Forbes and your the vocabulary is completely changed. Like you get it, um, but like, was there a light bulb moment, or was it you know that constant exposure? And now you feel like, woo, we're here. I feel like it was um, it was gradual, but it was very accelerated yeah. just because of the, the the amount of time that I spent around the people that were so incredibly knowledgeable about wildlife and habitat management. Yep. And um, you know, I would say five or six years ago when I'd walk into a timber stand. I probably couldn't even have told you, you know, the difference between a white oak and a red oak or pointed out a walnut or a soft maple or something like that. Yeah. And I would walk into a, you know, a nice open timber stand with big mature hardwoods and no understory. And I'd be like, man, this is pretty. I could see a buck cruising down this ridge, chasing a doe from 150 yards away. I could see myself hunting up here. And it definitely shifted when I started seeing some of these properties that did have some things done to them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good point. I think, I think that's where a lot of people struggle with this learning curve is they just haven't experienced it. Like there's generally not a lot of people or practitioners examples for people to partake in and see. Yeah. And, and two, you know, my exposure family didn't hunt, you know, yeah. mom, dad, brother, nothing like that. So I got into it on my own. So my exposure was, was the internet digital content, essentially yep. what I am producing with you guys yep. today, which is cool because I like to inform people yeah, uh, yeah. And teach people because that's how I learned. But, you know, my whole thought was, you know, back then it was like, oh, well, you just got to put in a food pot and the deer are going to come to it. Yeah. And that's still a lot of the consensus and food pots are obviously great. And mm-hmm. everybody uses food pots, but there's so many other things that you can do on a property that are one less expensive, less input cost. Yep. And two can provide just as good in some instances better forage and cover opportunities for not only deer but many other wildlife and um, I think seeing that side of it and learning that side of it um, really changed my perspective on you know for one hunting strategies but for two I feel like in 15 years if I if I would just was a just became a hunter and didn't get into to you know where I am now I've got 20 years of knowledge you know that I've learned in the last five, just because of the people that I've spent time around. And so, um, sharing that knowledge via the digital content, working mm-hmm. with you guys, I think is super, super important to get out there to the, the, the hunter in general. Yeah. What's like, um, I want, I want to ask you like a piece of advice that you give to those who are trying to work through that, um, that may not have that exposure, but like, what should they be looking for? And then to ask about, um, 
maybe from a hunting perspective, as we're on the on the cusp of getting into deer season here, how do you now prepare for hunts and hunting season? Like what is what is your eye now trained to look for? But what would you say to the guy who's going through this process of like feeling like he's getting some traction of like my mindset's changing, my eyes changing. Like what would you either encourage him to, to, to begin learning more or like, what what would you tell him? What would be your advice? So my advice would be to me that one of the most important things that I have learned is plant and species identification. Mm -hmm. I think that being able to walk into the woods and identify eight to 10 different species of trees, are they beneficial? Are they not beneficial being to, being able to identify certain forbs? Mm -hmm. Um, are they beneficial? Are they not beneficial? And, and, um, I think to me, that's one of the most important things that I've learned because I would just look at that stuff prior and say, you know, that's a weed, that's a tree. Yep. Um, but when you start tying those things together with the benefit to wildlife, you can take the step back and say, okay, if I implement these management practices, this is going to be my, my response. The response is beneficial for whatever wildlife yep. species you're trying to manage for. Mm-hmm. Species yeah. identification to me is huge. Um, I, yeah, Definitely. I think that's important. Definitely. And then, uh, since it's fresh in my mind, like when you when you say valuable for the wildlife that you're intending to manage for, doing X practice for, understanding that when you say it's valuable, that there's different categories of value, right? There's forage value. There's security value. There's uh, structure value and all those kind of things are kind of related and a little bit intertwined, but you can have areas where there's high quality food, but there's not cover, right? Yeah. And and basically we're trying to create something in, in a lot of areas and in a lot of farms that hybrid between it all of, hey, there's good quality structure, there's good quality uh, foraging species, um, that that are here and comprising let's say the understory like breaking that kind of out and having a little bit of um more or less point at things and saying good bad good bad it's a suite of things that are kind of working together yeah it's all kind of intertwined and that's i mean especially on your property your farm right here for example i can kind of see how all of the things that you have done they all kind of bleed together to to yeah. to some extent i mean you're not right. there's not just a pocket here and a pocket there it all and granted it is a smaller farm but all yep. of all of the things that you are doing all have you know uh they all correlate to some extent they're relative to each other and, and i was having this conversation with uh one of the landowners out in virginia actually it's like i i want you to as you're going through and implementing this plan one thing should build off of another. It's not that like this technique here in this location is solely independently good. Yep. It's this technique year one, and then that technique over there during your year one is a great start. But when you then go into year two and you do this practice on this portion and that practice, it's like now all of those things have built upon each other and are working um, by a factor of four, not a factor of one in each. Like it's, it's um, I think the right word's compensatory. Like it's building up, everything's building upon each other. So your growth curve in the quality of a farm 
is kind of exponential when you just work through things. And there is that rhyme and reason from the spatial layout and everything kind of bleeds and works together. Um, that's when we see some just awesome stuff happen on, on properties. Yeah. And, and like we were talking about today too, in that TSI area, you, you went in there last year, you, you did the TSI and we were talking about, you know, what you're going to do from this point going forward. You got a great response. You opened up the canopy, you got sunlight coming in, you've got woody re-sprouts, you've got some forbs and some things coming up, but you're not done there. You're going to come back yeah. in and you're going to run fire through it. And that's just, like you said, just a minute ago, that's just going to, um, exponentially make that better build on what you initially did which was tsi and in a, diff in a different area like your old field for example the first thing you did was you killed off the fescue yeah and then you started your will the cerisa then the fescue mm -hmm. you did some edge feathering got rid of some cedars now you've got a bunch of ragweed coming up you'll let that build so you're constantly building off of whatever the practice is that you decide to implement with other practices yeah yeah so Obviously, species identification is super huge for for those trying to learn. But let's say, is there anything that you would say on like training someone's eye to be able to recognize this kind of stuff um, and, and going from, you know, the understanding that, wow, closed canopy forest really isn't that good. Like, is there is there a, a tip or something that you could give someone that's going to help? that growth curve? I mean, I would say if it's difficult for you to get through the understory, that's probably a good thing. Yeah. If yeah. you, if you can't see in some places, 10, 15, 20 yards in the under understory of a forest, that's probably a good thing. Mm -hmm. If you can see a hundred yards and there's not anything, but some leaves on the under, that's probably not a good thing. Right. Probably right. something that can be done. I know that sounds, you know, pretty simple, but right. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it is, but that's a that's a starting point, right? Just just being able to recognize that something should be done. We'll get fancier later on once you've started the practice, but just getting to the point of of accepting, okay, this isn't this isn't quality. This isn't really where I want to be, and and I, and I think it's important to to note that like you can't mistake the fact that okay, I understand that there's deer there on your site and using it. But deer are so adaptive that they can make it work. They but, can live off of forbs in a road ditch in a, in yeah. a subdiv outside of a subdivision. Right, I mean, right. Like they're they are incredible animals. But just because they're present doesn't mean that that is representative of quality habitat. Yep. And that's the biggest thing. Like you don't see quail consistently in poor habitat. Nope. You don't really see turkeys. They have a bigger range, but on on a landscape that's just not conducive to, you know, good successful reproduction of turkeys, you're not going to see it. But but, but you deer will on see the deer. Yeah, yeah, deer on the other hand is like, nope, they're still there. Yep. So I I think that's one thing that that just trips up hunters is, well, I got deer here. They're on camera. I I get that, but there is a a common phrase will say there's a difference between thriving and surviving. Yep. And, and if you can train your eye to get past, like recognize what survival mode looks like from a habitat standpoint, and then shifting it into thriving is going to get you a long ways. Um, yeah. Like the, one of the, one of the videos I was excited to shoot was that, that follow-up TSI today. Cause it was like from, from the overstory, 
to the like retention trees down to the forbs, the stump sprouts and everything like you could see a, a structural change of the way lights coming through, you know, the canopy, the columns, the interspersed shade pockets throughout that. And then you could directly see as a result of, well, here's our understories change with the plant communities um, that are coming back now and it's shifting and changing just within a year. But it was such a, from, from literally top to bottom, a drastic change. And so hopefully, you know, folks will tune into that and try to maybe better understand what it is we're looking for um, in that mindset mindset shift and changing the lens of what you're really focusing on um yeah and trying to get out and look at habitat yeah and i think that's one of the really cool things that we're doing with you guys is trying to show that visually because it's one thing to um you know maybe read an article or listen to a podcast and um hear the information or hear you know some of the things that can be done but to visually see them and then to visually see um the results i think is huge and and again um, I didn't have that when I was um, getting into hunting. So I think right. for, for new hunters, for new landowners, even if you, you know, you're managing mom and dad's 40 or whatever, mm-hmm. my, you know, my parents have 40 acres in Northern Missouri. Yep. Um, I wish I could get over there and do some more things, but I live in sure. Illinois. Um, but I have the knowledge to do that. And oh, so yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is, is um, just getting started and just, you know, being comfortable with it and um, yeah, getting out there and doing it. What? When it comes to hunting strategy now, like name one thing um, that you now would focus on from a habitat or a plant community standpoint. You're like, okay, when I'm scouting, um, you know, whether it's digitally or I'm in the field, like I want to be close to X. What does X look like um, and what is it comprised of for you now versus maybe years ago? Yeah, so... Years ago, I would drive up from college and I would pop in a tree over a little quarter acre food plot that I put in at mom mm-hmm. and dad's farm and I would sit there. Didn't matter what the wind was, didn't <laughs> yeah. matter what what time of year it was, it was when I could get up and hunt. Um, and, and I was limited to that. I did hunt some public ground down sure. t- towards the Springfield area. Um, now it's looking for breaks in habitat. Mm-hmm. I, a good example, uh, the public that I hunt in Illinois has a lot of... Uh, old pasture it was a Mm. there was a bunch of cattle on it it's been owned by the state for about 25 years now um on their website they say that some of it is is native grass plantings i don't they they don't manage it so a lot of it is 20 to 25 year old pasture so you can imagine what that looks like there's a lot of grasses a lot of cedar encroachment a lot of small oak sapling things like that hedge Hedge, yep things like that but there's there's you know anywhere from two to 20 acre pockets of that dotted all over this 2200 acres so mm-hmm. i key in on that as a transition yeah from the hardwoods and i look at it as a bedding area it wasn't um it's not it wasn't implemented by anybody but it's probably some of the best bedding yeah. on that sure piece of property so um breaks in habitat which are you know what you guys mm-hmm. try to try to create on properties as well within the timber whatever that might be so um Real, real thick cover on the edge of a big block of timber. Get on the downwind side of that, especially in November, and potentially catch a deer or p- potentially catch a buck cutting some of those trails that are going into and out of that thicker stuff or that bedding, if you will. Yeah. Um, yep. So so pretty simple stuff, but something that I probably wouldn't have thought about five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I was just thinking about that when you were 
chatting. I think, I think a lot of like public ground hunters, like their approach is to not initially go and hunt like the food source. Cause they think, well, that's going to get pounded out. Like the guys who, mm-hmm. are, who are successful, right? Their shift is generally where the deer staying. And I want to be relatively close to that access it right hunt it right with the best wins but like they their their approach initially is right find the cover find the deer yeah i think private landowners are like the exact opposite generally they're like sit on the food source yeah i'm the food i can control the pressure better certainly right and i get that that's a big difference between public and private but what would happen though to the private landowner who's pretty much solely been hunting the uh, the food source, what if you shifted and gotten to hey find the cover, find those transitions, and and deer are in a low pressure situation like that's to me where um, the approach is generally you know um, it, it's a it's a it's a poor approach or a not well thought out approach. Like you can be way more successful in property. If you're that private landowner who doesn't just hunt the food, they keep the property secure because the access is good, but they also hunting close to bedding and the transitions. Like, I I think sightings and success rates would go up dramatically. And Uh a lot of the guys that we hunt with, they do do that. Their properties Mm -hmm. are very well managed. Um, They've got Mm -hmm. a lot of food. They hold a lot of deer. Typically they're bigger properties. And the deer are comfortable, and you might have a lot of mature buck action sure. on food plots um, during daylight. But um, those bucks are also moving that much more that much outside of the food plots during daylight. Yep, yeah, it might not be the last ten minutes of legal shooting light. Correct. You, you might catch them at four thirty instead of five fifteen. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if 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 you just kind of switch to that mindset, yeah, I think that that a lot of guys could be more successful with that. Totally, totally. Well, cool, man. I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate time and and sharing let's say kind of your your journey through this because you've got it you've got a unique one the ability to to fast track that learning but what's what's cool about is as you're learning you're also educating like the way you're putting content together um you know it doesn't matter how who's who's speaking in front of the camera like your job in the fashion of putting it together is a huge part in how people are learning. So um, it's just cool that you don't have a ton of, let's say preconceived notions of like 15, 20 years of what you thought was good. It's like, here's what I think is good. Oh, wow. There's, there's a lot to learn. I'm learning. I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a whole lot. Here we are. And and that that's happened in a relatively short amount of time um, compared to a lot of people, but that transition transformation just, mentally and visually the way you look at stuff is what we hope to in the podcast this one specifically but in all the others what we hope for people to be able to achieve yeah 100 percent. and i appreciate you having me on and and i love spending time with you and adam in the field um like you said constantly learning and and again it's very rewarding too because that's how I learned, you know, was, yeah, was just yeah. consuming content. That's how so many people are learning these days, not just younger mm-hmm. individuals, even older individuals are consuming our content. So yeah, getting that word out there is, is, is very rewarding to me and, and I enjoy doing it and, and um, learning along the way. And 
you know, the hunting industry, like any under, other industry, has a lot of marketing and things like that. Sure. So, you know, trying to get to some really um, truthful, uh, data-driven um, points or facts. I mean, getting yeah. getting that across to people, and it's not just the newest seed blend or, or attractant or things like that. It's like, you know, you can, sure. get, you can get out there, you can do the work, you can improve your property, whether you've got 10 acres or a thousand acres. I mean, this, just, is, re- this is real life stuff. Yeah, this is yeah <laughs> exactly a hundred percent. So it's yeah, super rewarding. That's what I love about it. And, and when Adam and I were given the chance to, to jump on board, we're like, Oh yeah. Like that's right up. That's right up our alley. We're there's, there's not product pushing here. This is just information driven to be an educational resource. So um, if you haven't checked out Lambeat videos on the whitetail properties, YouTube page and social media, um, platforms you need to go check them out go learn share them um, and uh, guys we appreciate your time and listening and being a part of this podcast with us um, seasons are opening up rapidly across across some some regions and states so um, you could be in a tree stand in two weeks here yeah just about for yeah I mean we're we're right there knocking on the door not tomorrow but the next day is September 1st and we open the 15th so yeah like we're Wowzers. We're there. Whew, we're you're there. You're there. We're, we're, we we yeah. got another month yet in Illinois, but that's all right. right. Yeah, it'll but it'll be here. So much happens in that in that month of September. Transition, velvet shed. Oh man. It's uh it's pretty much here. So guys, a lot a lot of more a lot more content coming your way. Um we're we're gonna start filming with for ten X. Um and then we've got more consulting um, inquiries that are coming through and schedules getting built out for January, February, March, April of next year pretty quickly. So if you're interested, be sure to um, email us. Um, there's a tab on the website and uh, just appreciate everyone listening, following along and learning with us. We'll catch you here next week, guys. Yep.